Welcome to System Mastery, the thrilling podcast where each week two guys read an old weird RPG book and bring you a decades late up to the minute review of it. This week we tackle a classic, and that word needs a shower now, RPG from Heliograph Press, Space 1889. Thrill at the adventures found only in rigorous explanations of rudimentary aqueduct design. It's super Victorian too, so grab your doffing caps and your bottle of Worthington's very original brown sauce. And let's get started on today's System Mastery. Welcome back to System Mastery. I'm Jeff, and as always, my partner John is here with me. How are you, buddy? I'm so good. All right. Well, I think we've uh, we've tried to start recording this podcast about 15 times so far because uh, there's nothing that puts us in a sillier frame of mind than an undiscussable game. Yeah. No. Trying to discuss anything but this game is preferable to discussing this game. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's. I don't even know where to begin with this thing. Well, let's start with the title. All right. So, Space 1889. It is a book. It certainly is. (laughs) Okay, so this is from Heliograph Press, which is of note because before this book, they made a number of board games. Yeah, this is based on the Space 1889 board game, and uh, you'll actually find pretty much all of the art in this is just old art that they had for the board game. And there are certain parts in the book where they actually refer to the board game and say things like, if you need to do ship-to-ship combat, consider playing the board game Lords of Mars, or whatever it's called. Yeah. And we're not we're not a board game review site. So <laughs> yeah. Get oh, you know what? Monopoly. D. <laughs> there. All right. Yeah. I prefer Monopoly D. <laughs> Monopoly the D. <laughs> you have landed on the D again. <laughs> Every property is the D. <laughs> Stupid the D tax. <laughs> Go directly to the D. <laughs> Do not pass D. Do not pass the D. <laughs> uh, all right. So see, this is what I was talking about. Yeah. We we can't do it. This book. <laughs> this book. Okay. okay. Space eighteen eighty nine is one of those early attempts at steampunk. And wh- yeah, it's the problem is it isn't really. Super steampunky? Like, you look oh, at it... Okay, well, that's a big discussion to have in the first place. Steampunk, as as a genre, has lost its way. Because punk is about estab- or rebelling against an establishment. Yeah. That's the whole concept of punk. Any Anytime you hear something that's like, whatever punk, you know, diesel punk, Spock punk, whatever you want to do, it's supposed to be about rebelling against an establishment in the time period that that first word sets or oh, evokes. Yeah. I mean, Spock was very much Vulcan punk. Yeah, he was Vulcan punk. He kept rebelling against his greater Vulcan impulses. Like when he needed to go bang a Vulcan lady after having a cool fight. Yeah, or like that time where he she choked Jim and then told him to like go down to an ice planet. That's totally gonna murder okay, him. So we're talking about movie Spock now, <laughs> the new movie Spock, which makes no sense. That scene, that scene, that fucking scene. Also, new Spock is just N U Spock. Yeah. Oh God, with a dash. Yeah, new Spock. New Spock. That scene where he's like, "Get him off my ship." I don't know. Shoot him to that ice planet that's within range of that collapsing planet, so he will surely die. Well, okay, but you're a brand new captain. Did, when you get back to the 
Are, are you going to wait? We did this way back in episode four. Fuck this. <laughs> okay, so uh, never mind. So yeah, anytime you hear that sp- that that punk uh, addendum, it's supposed to be about rebellion. So this isn't really steampunk. On the other hand, it doesn't really claim to be. But in this game, you don't play as rebels. You play as the establishment. Oh yeah, no. So instead of like in a cyberpunk where you're fighting against the corporations, in a steampunk, you would think you're like. I'm scrappy guys fighting against, say, the aristocracy the or factories. whatever. You're rebelling against the, fa- the, the factory bosses. Yeah. You're like a guy with a wrench who throws the wrench into the cogs of the great machinery. That would be actual steampunk. There have been a few things that are actual steampunk. This is gaslight fantasy. Yeah. So, and uh, like he said, it doesn't really say that it is steampunk on anywhere in it. But it's mostly just, instead of being like, yeah, you're going to have cool steampunky gadgets. It's mostly you have dumb hand-wavy magic items and it's essentially just replacing black people with Martians. Oh, got so much replacing them. Like, the wilder and from out, further out of town the Martians are, the darker their skin is. Oh, yeah, and they get more stooped and ape-like and hairier and then they become more primitive. That hurts so much to read. It's so racist. Like, the lizard men on Venus are treated better. (laughs) Yeah, well, part of me goes, all right, I understand. You're trying to do a Victorian-themed book. And you you can't just do a book about Zulus. Like, literally, the length they go to to just go, all right, this is an RPG about killing Zulus, is this is an (laughs) RPG about killing, I don't know, Martians. Let's come up with a way for people to get to Mars, and then they can kill not Zulus. And (laughs) there's a great point in this where... Uh, well, I shouldn't say a great point. There is a point in this. Nothing in this go. book is great. Yeah. Where they're, they endlessly talk about the history of bullshit Victorian stuff. Just oh. all the time. Oh, this is constant. This is the furry pirates of Victoriana. Oh, yeah. It is just an encyclopedia of everything you didn't want to know about Victorian England. And goes out of its way to be like a Zulu apologist. Where it's like, oh yes, the great British Empire didn't want to at all be confrontational. It was just a a few bad apples that decided to be money-grubbing or whatever. And And they did it again in other parts of the world. They did it to India, by God. And they just kept on doing it. But nope, that's not what the British Empire was about. No, sir. No, the British Empire is about stiff, upper-lipped, classy gentlemen wandering around with cool waxed mustaches and doing daring do. Oh, yeah. And some of them are women in disguise. <laughs> Don't you know? Uh, yeah, this book also has a whole thing in there about, you know, in Victorian age, ladies didn't get to do shit. They knew their they, place. Unless they were a man. Yeah. So, dress up as a man, or keep a man with you so that you can pretend it's the man's idea that you're going on an adventure. That's literally one of the classes you can play as in this game is the adventurous. And the all the game, all the classes come with manservants, because... Lord knows a Victorian person can't be alone for, like, a minute. They need to have an Alfred. Yeah. But the adventurous comes with a big, tough dude who hangs around with you so that everyone will assume that he's in charge. Yep, that's it. You get to, at best in this game, pretend to be the power behind the power. Yeah. And at worst, just say, no, I'm really just a dude, don't mind me, and then go about your business. Yeah. It's so weird to me that that's the way they go with this. Because, first of all, this book is full of standard steampunk-style bullshit that explains how all the steampunk works. Because real steampunk wouldn't work. You can't actually build a cool steam engine spaceship. It would be too heavy. Or it wouldn't work in space. Or, or, or. You could never break atmosphere with it. Whatever. 
So they have to, first thing they have to do, and anytime they get these Gaslight Fantasy books, is write all the rules for how come it works. And in this book, it's because the ether. Yeah. If you don't know about the concept of the ether, don't worry, the book is going to take 200 pages to fucking explain it to you. And when it does, it doesn't actually do it a good job. Here, let me do a better job than the book does. Space is kind of thick. <laughs> yeah, I like my space like I like my women. Dark and kind of thick. <laughs> Oh, and you cannot prevaricate. <laughs> so space is filled with ether, and the ether is sort of like... It's air but thick, so you can run a screw through it and basically power your ship. Yeah, they they assumed that there couldn't be nothing there, because if there was a pure vacuum, then light wouldn't travel. That's accurate. That so, was something that was believed, but, but was uh, disbelieved widely by the 1800s. Yeah, so they were like, all right... There's gotta be some stuff there. And Let's they, say it's the ether. They always called it either the ether or the phlogiston. Yeah. And in this book, they went with ether because phlogiston is a way cooler word, so we can't use we can't <laughs> use the cool words. Yeah. So, so they uh, so ether was correct, which means that you can power things through space by means of a screw. And uh, it was Edison who first came up with how to work uh, the ether into an engine, essentially. But then he realized that ether doesn't start till you leave the atmosphere of a planet. Which means that you need a way to get up out of atmosphere, which was solved via balloons. Yes, with zeppelins that don't actually have the capability of doing that. No, they sure don't. They just they just hand wave that. That's okay, because it's pulp fantasy. I mean, there aren't actually dinosaurs on Venus either. So the idea that you can just take a balloon up to space... It's weird to me, though, because they... they it's like half realism. It's the same thing with the women thing. We're going to drag right back around to that in a second. They're like, okay, you can use a Zeppelin to get to space. No, you can't. The maximum operating capacity of a Zeppelin is when the air, the air pressure inside of it equalizes the air pressure outside. Then it starts to fall. That'll happen way before you get out into space. So whatever. Let's just move on from that. Zeppelins can get into space. Fine. Can they just fly through space? No. Why not? Because space is thick. <laughs> so you need to have two an engines. ether engine. Yes, you need to have two engines. The, the one for space is powered by solar boilers. They just put mirrors on the ship that power a boiler that runs a screw that can drive the ship faster than, like, a, it's like a couple million miles a day. Oh, yeah. This thing moves way faster than anything we've got. Yes. Uh, without rockets, they can get these ether screw things to take their uh, their funky little spaceships from Earth to Mars in about a month and a half. Yep. Which, right now, to get one of our big-ass rockets to Mars would take about five years. <laughs> So, you know, they got that going for them. Whatever, pulp fantasy. You know, five years on a boat is going crazy fantasy. It would be a very different RPG. Yeah, well, and also because they don't have anything like oxygen scrubbers or anything like that. <laughs> what do they have? A room on your ship full of plants. Yes, that's right. You can have a greenhouse and you just sort of breathe and the plants turn it into oxygen and everything's great. Okay, so are we done? Is that everything you need to have a cool advanced steampunk society that works? No, you need one more magic bullshit invention. Now, let's briefly touch on how this was handled in the last Gaslight Fantasy game, we did, uh, the uh, Vanishing Point. In that one, you had water that could boil forever. Yeah. And uh, there was at least one other thing. Uh, oh, uh, electricity didn't work. Those are the two things that made it to Steampunk Planet. Electricity doesn't work, and water can boil forever. In this one, it's space is kind of thick, and there's wood that's lighter than air on Mars. Yeah, the great thing is we had to get to Mars before we could figure out that there was wood that you could use to lift things that weren't just Zeppelins into space. So as soon as they got Zeppelins to Mars, space technology got a lot better because all of a sudden they had lift wood. Yeah, because uh, there's 
anti-gravity sap in trees there for reasons. I think that's it never fine. it never quite tells you the reason for that. Like why that why that evolved on the uh, well, of course, because it's Victorian England, so Jesus did it. Yeah. Well, space <laughs> Jesus. I I also enjoy they go into how Victorians were super upset about science because it was disproving a lot of religious shit. Yeah. And so they were like, "No, science is a thing you do behind closed doors." Yeah. And you just you let people know about the advantages of it, but don't tell them why it works because it'll freak them out. <laughs> so, okay. We've been doing a lot of discussing the technology of the game, but oh, right. I wanted to circle around and talk about the thing with women. In this universe, space is kind of thick. You can get out of the atmosphere with a Zeppelin. There's wood that's lighter than air. So that shows that these people are plenty imaginative and willing to change the universe. So did they change women's place in the universe in 1889 England? God, no, that would be hard. Well, the big problem is they didn't change anything except for also their space. Also, Mars has dudes on it. Like, you go through this book, and it really is, like we had said, the furry pirates of steampunk, because the whole thing is just, yes, and then at this date, this happened exactly the way it did, and this happened exactly the way it did, and then we went into space, and then events continued to happen exactly as they normally yeah, did. We have outposts on Mars and Venus and the moon, also trouble in India. You're like, what the fuck are you talking about? There's all of this shit about the various historical things that happened uh, since, like, we went into space apparently in, like, 1869 or something. Mm-hmm. So we went 100 years early... And just went, great, uh, now nothing changes at all for no. us. All the rest of the stuff keeps being the same. Even though we have all kinds of new technology and so on, we still, instead of using our cool liftwood spaceships to dominate India, are doing it on the ground with trains. There is a, uh, a section in this about being an inventor, and it's one of the only things you can do that gives you your own subsystem. Yeah, most of the rest of the game is just skills. But the inventor can invent shit like fucking freeze rays and mind control guns. Robots. And lightning rods that shoot lightning. And it's just full of that sort of pulp science fiction, mad scientist thing. Except, again, there's no mention of what this means. Like, I have a mind control ray. Oh, does that mean, like... Someone goes and tries to mind control, like, the Kaiser or whatever? No. No one gives a fuck. Yeah. No one's going to stop the Armenian genocide or whatever. We're just going to let that shit happen and hang out on Venus with dinosaurs. Yeah. So, again, just... It's it's, it's not like we're saying that's that's a, bad, like a horribly bad thing. Like, you know, the weird thing is that they felt like including all that stuff that's happening in Victorian England. If your game's not about that, if your game's about going to Mars and fighting Martians then you probably don't need to fill your book with what was actually happening in Ceylon. Yeah, I wouldn't have an issue with the, we didn't really change a lot of the history of Earth, if the focus of the book really was on, but who gives a fuck what's happening on Earth? These are pulp adventures in space. I'd be like, okay, great, sure, whatever. And if they just had a sidebar of like, most things on Earth are sort of comparable. Anyway, no one cares. But they go on and on with an encyclopedic just tone of, and then this happened, and then this guy went over to a place, and then he decided to do a thing. And I'm like, I don't fucking care. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. I don't fucking care is really just the tagline of this book. Yeah, well, why don't we talk a little bit about the rules, because we have yet to get into that even slightly. Yep. All right. Okay, there are some stats. So, you have six stats. You are going to have your uh, your strength and agility and endurance, 
your intelligence, your charisma, and then your social level is your last stat. Mm -hmm. Because how you stand in society is obviously very important for horrible Victorian shit. Yes. Okay, so then it gives you three different ways to go about doing your stat distribution. Yes. One is, since you have six stats and this is an entirely D6-based game, you can go... Uh, put a one through six in everything in order. So one stat gets a one, another stat gets a two, a three, a four, all the way up to six. So, okay, great. Or you can do, uh, a distribution of points. So the same amount of points you would have gotten is 21, and you can just distribute them around. So if you don't feel like having a one in anything, you can say, I've got two like, twos. Yeah, I, I've got three twos. So I've got a two, a two, a two, and then a four, five, six. Right. Uh, and then you've got the last one, which is to just roll dice randomly for each stat, and then just take that. So you roll a d6, and that's your stat in anything. And the average of any of those is a 21, or of rolling 66 is 21, so. Yeah. So, perfectly fine. Yeah, it averages out. They do, of course, mention that advanced role players will probably want to do the roll random, because that gives you a truly... Interesting and challenging way to interact with their bullshit story. So, great. Something has to, because Lord knows the one story in here doesn't have a whole lot of player interaction. (laughs) So, once you've got your attributes, there are then skills. Each skill is based on one of those attributes. Mm -hmm. And then certain skills have cascades. Yeah, so you can get, like... Alright, so, for example, the the, uh, strength. We'll do that. So the strength skills are fisticuffs, throwing, close combat, and trimsmen. Trimsmen. Yes. I, I like to consider myself a bit of a trimsman if you yeah. if you know what I mean. Once I, once I you, you start really getting into trying to control the trim, you can truly be said to be a trimsman. Trimsman. Yeah. Trim control is one of my favorite Prince songs, by the way. <laughs> ah, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. People are going to get that eventually. (laughs) Someone's going to get that. It's it's coming to them right now. (laughs) They're on Google right now looking up Prince songs. (laughs) Uh, Some of those skills are cascade skills. So, close combat and trimsmen both cascade into subcategories. So, if you were in close combat, you would have to cascade that down to, say, I use a sword or a knife or a mace or what have you, or I'm unarmed. So then you would have a skill in that rather than just overall close combat. Mm-hmm. I like that it's all in there. Where armor and swords and all that stuff in 1889 when not only have... Pe- the world has already moved on past all that nonsense, but so has... Uh, they've also moved on to spaceships. But oh, they yeah. still are like, oh yeah, swords. Swords, swords, swords. Like, I, it's... One of the complaints I hear about the Assassin's Creed games is that they can only set them to about 1880 or so. Because after that, you can't run around with a sword and two other swords and an axe. Because it doesn't make any sense. Your hidden blades are getting useless and uselesser as as pistols start to take over the world. Yeah. And this book's answer to that is, don't worry about it. Just go ahead and take swords. But then also, we're going to fetishize pistols to a ludicrous degree. So there are a bunch of uh, guns as well in this, and... Uh, the agility has marksmanship, which then cascades into whatever the hell gun you're actually using. Mm-hmm. Mostly Remingtons and various types of big old, crazy, old, old-fashioned rifles. But it goes all the way through them. Like, it's not just pistols and rifles and shotguns. You get 
fucking Gatling guns and artillery pieces and everything like that because you'll probably have something on your boat. Maybe your dude shoots a cannon out of your boat. Out of your cool spaceship that flies through that great thick space. Ah, the great thick space. Yeah. Okay. So, after you've gotten all that, you're going to figure out your career or careers. And careers are nothing more than lists of skills that you get. Yeah. So, you pick a career and it tells you what you get skills in. So, it'll be like... Alright, uh, I've decided I want to go ahead and be, I don't know. An adventurous. I'm an adventurous, ah! And then you'll get some skills in like, fisticuffs and flying and bullshit, and it doesn't really matter. Uh. Bullshit probably actually one of the skills, because again, to be an adventurous, you have to lie all the way through your career and pretend that the goon you carry around with you is in charge. Well, yeah. So, most of the time, the highest thing they're gonna give you in something is a two. So you'll get like, a close combat of one, or a leadership of one. So the adventurous gets theatrics of two, mm-hmm. and eloquence of one, and crime one, because it's a crime that you are off doing things out of the kitchen. It's a crime how tight that course it is. <laughs> so you can pick uh, one career, and then a bunch uh, of skills. Put, put some skill points in things. Two careers, and put fewer skill points into things. Or no career, and just put skill points in whatever the hell you want. And you end up being roughly the same any way you slice it. It's pretty much the same number of skill points. It's the, choosing the careers is mostly just to help shape your character. Although, it shapes it in a really weird way. Because, just like we were saying earlier, all these skills, or, or all these careers except for, like, like uh, adventurous and uh, one or two specific ship careers, are very just Victorian England people. So it'll be things like, governor of local mansion. I am a merchant. I am a card sharp. It's that sort of thing. It's like, what, what? How does that? How does that relate to space pulpingness? Well, yeah. I mean, some of them you look at and you're like, all right, here's a poacher. So maybe he's trying to like poach dinosaurs on Venus, or you've got like some scientist. So he's doing mad inventions. Okay, great. Those are fine. But then you get to things where it's like, what are you? I'm a dilettante. Like, all right then. Very good. Great. Carry on. And that's so, it. So yeah. that's that's a whole character right there. It's pretty much just skills plus stats. The game doesn't really have powers or, or magic or anything like that, so at that point, once you have skills and stats, you're off to the races and you get to play as a guy. And it has a nice little character sheet in there where you name your character and then write down your own name and then draw a uh, Victorian-looking gentleman and give him a British name. Yeah. Their their character, their house character is named Carstairs. Oh, Carstairs. Which, I know this book came out in, like, early 90s, but, but every time I hear that, all I think of is Arrested Development. Every time. <laughs> like, you're going to get some hop-ons. <laughs> so... <laughs> the weird, this book has the worst layout, by the way. Oh, yes. Yes, the, it does. The actual way that they put things in order is so god-awful. Yeah. So it starts out, and the very first thing it gives you is, let's talk about Victorian England and all the things that are going on. And, and why not, it's great. And their tech level and what they were doing and stuff. And you're like, okay, great. Then it gets into character creation. And you're like, okay, here are stats, here are some skills. Then it ends saying that you've got these skill points. It gives you a description of the skills, and then it goes right back into talking about Victorian England again. Yes, for, like, for, for a long time. Then it just talks about Britain and the world and imperialism and government and politics and blah, Victorian society and going native. Oh, and then, So many people do this, including on Mars! And it just keeps going on and on. Then it talks about the referee, who is your game master. Game master, yeah. And then after that, it gives you a list of NPCs, and then finally, it tells you what your skill actually does. Yeah. 
So it takes a good, like, 20 pages, 25 pages from, here are the skills you have, to, here's what having those skills means. And and it does it again for weapons. Oh yeah, the weapons is the worst. Because it goes, alright man, you have these uh, these skills for how to use weapons. Okay, great. Then you wait and go, alright, here's how you resolve things. Except not close combat. Alright. Then you wait a bit and get to weapons. And it just gives you a list of weapons and how much they cost, mm-hmm. and no stats, or how to use them. <laughs> then you wait about 50 pages, and it goes, here's the combat ability. Here's how you actually do combat. All right, great. Then another 100 pages later, it tells you what weapon stats are. Ah. It's just, it, it's infuriating in that it keeps going, hey, here's a thing. Anyway, here's back some to Victorian hi- English. Have some historical detail. And, and, you know, I, I opened it with talking a little bit, and we haven't even really talked about the other planets yet, so I guess now's a good time, huh? We're done with character creation. Yeah. Hey, by the way, can you advance as a character in this game? I fucking, I don't even know. I, okay, I will tell you this last night. I tried to find the resolution system for how you roll to do things, and it took me a good 45 minutes to find it in the book, because it's just nestled in between a bunch of dumb bullshit. Mm-hmm. So, after finding that, I went, okay, what's the XP like in this? Nothing. Fucking nothing. I looked for an hour, couldn't find it, hated everything, gave up. The pa- the book is about 180 pages long, by the way. It's not a huge tome. So, it- it's just dense and irritating. The whole thing's laid out in that, that ugly old Avalon Hill style, three column per page, little tiny black and white sketch art format. Oh yeah, so you'll just have, like, pages and pages and pages of... Like, here's a column, 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 just talking about things. And nestled in there will be random bits about how you play the game. But it's not like, alright, here's all the rules for playing the game. Here's all the information about this. Here's It's just spread out everywhere. Oh yeah, just at random. The only thing I could find for XP is based on the inventor system. So, inventors... Are the only people in the game who get any kind of powers or anything. And all their power that they get is that they get to roll some dice to try and invent things. Yeah, so you get uh, whatever your intelligence plus your various skills for science are. So if you're like, I've got ether at a 4 and physics at a 3 and an intelligence of 5, I can roll some dice. And however many dice you roll out of that pool, you add that up and that's your research value. Mm-hmm. So and then you have to split your research value to roll on different types of technology well, at then, once, and then ugh. you get so like if I have a total of say seven dice, and I roll five of them, and now my research value is like fifteen. I can research anything that has a research value of up to fifteen and figure out how to make it. However, then making it, I have to roll whatever dice I had left over to actually invent it. Mm-hmm. So there's. The better you research into something, the fewer dice you have to roll it than trying to invent it. So if you go pure research, you could technically invent anything, but you can't. Because you've spent your whole life just researching things. But if you haven't researched anything, then you can't actually invent anything. So, fuck. Yeah, it's it, it's weird. And, and also, you hear us saying invent things, and maybe you're getting the idea that it's invent something you thought was interesting. But no, it's pick from a list. Oh yeah, there's a big list of, you can get this type of engine, or... A lot of them already exist, so you're inventing things that exist already. Like, that, I don't mean in the real world, I mean like, invent a screw that can power your ether spaceship. It'll be one of these three kinds of ether screws that already exist. Yeah, there is no make up your own, it's just, you try to make one of these three things. Yeah. Okay? 
and then you also have stuff that's way, way advanced. So, like, if oh, yeah. you get to a point, you're like, I can make a ballistics computer. And you're like, wait, what? I thought this was Gaslight Fantasy. Can't you make an adding machine first? And it's like, no, I can make an automaton who can walk and talk. It's artificial intelligence. I can do that. No problem. Yeah. All right, then. Okay. That's fine. Great. Okay. So they are the only ones who actually get an XP mechanic because it says that after every adventure, your referee should probably just give you an extra die worth of research. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Which it, you're still going to need to to uh, put that on your ship because ship construction rules exist in this game. Yeah. And they work by... Doing that old-fashioned dungeon-style layout design where you have to put, like, a little rectangle on the line to indicate there's a door there. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's very Car Wars in its yeah, construction, actually. Yeah, you get a certain amount of weight and a certain amount of interior space. And, and you, X amount has to be devoted to this, and then yeah. certains have to be devoted to this. Hilariously, you have to get a 10-by-10-foot 10 10 square room full of plants to have four people get oxygen. Yep. That would not work. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, that's fine. Fantasy, it's okay. Great. So, you have to build your ship, and uh, to roll research dice, you need a square 10 feet square per research die you roll. So, to make a cool spaceship for a scientist, it has to be huge. Oh, yeah. And if you you also need more power to power a laboratory that is on a ship. Mm-hmm. If you were just like, I've got a ship, we go into space, and all we're doing is transporting people, then you don't need it to be as efficient. However... If you're like, I've got a lab on board, and I've got a dude doing weird experiments in space, then now you have to have a bunch of stuff that's like, all right, well, you need to have more energy and be more efficient, and now it's going to be way more expensive because the more efficient your engine is, the more it costs. Right, and then there's, just to finish up before we start talking about the other planets, because really that's the meat and potatoes of this game, the interesting stuff is the other planets. Uh, There's also ship-to-ship combat that gets a lot of information. It uses hex grids. It has the maximum amount that you're allowed to turn per turn. Uh, it has stuff about how you can get knocked out of your axis of alignment and start flipping upside down. And that's where the trimsman comes that's in. That's what a trimsman does is they try to keep the ship even by playing a giant game of like, like, uh, cranky things. It's, it's, uh, it, it's a little confusing. But, but ultimately it tells you at the start of the ship section, maybe don't use this. Maybe play our board game that we have instead. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Mars. Okay, so Mars is the first place we went to, which is odd, given that it's farther away than Venus. Venus is a little scarier. Uh, it's, you know, it's just clouds. You don't know what's in there. And, of course, between the two planets, we could probably put humans walking around on Mars. We can't do that on Venus. They would be crushed like bugs. Yeah, but in this, no. No, in this, it's just foggy and stormy there, so you can go to either one. But we go to Mars first, because Mars ultimately looks like it has life on it, because it's got those canals. So that's what's... Okay, so a little bit of history about people thinking life is on Mars. Usually it's because there's these big channels there from ancient rivers. So people think, that what if those are active canals? What if there's still water underneath them? Maybe there's life. Hey, guess what? That's how this game works. Yep. So uh, essentially this game is all just old people that used to live long ago were kind of dumb about things, but what if they were all actually right? Great. Yeah. So there's Martians living on Mars. Martians are golden-skinned... Uh, fin-eared people. Basically, yeah. So they're, they're bipedal, they mostly look human, they've got kind of a uh, large upturned nose, sort of bat nose kind of thing going on. They have fins for ears, and uh, they have, they have, then, ha- they have hair in the right spot. Yeah. They're, they're practically human. Yeah, they wear clothes, so, meh. Now they come in three varieties. Yeah. Uh, there are canal Martians, which are the ones that live nearest to the canals. 
And they represent sort of the, the fading, crumbling civilization people. So in a pulp fantasy adventure, they'd be like your Aztecs or your Egyptians. Yeah, they are the ones who their society is slowly crumbling because water is super scarce. Mm-hmm. And also they don't know how any of the old machines that they built thousands of years ago were built. And so they can't keep building new ones. Yeah, they are very much fucking Warhammer 40K. Mm-hmm. They don't know what the fuck is going on and everything sucks. Yes. Then you've got uh, Hill Martians. No, I'm sorry. Uh, whatever the Plains Martians are called. Yeah, those are the... Are they the Hill, Hill Martians? Martians? They are Hill Martians, yes. Yeah. Hill Martians are the noble savage archetype. So they represent your Mayan, Toltec type, like people who live in tribes, your Native Americans. Yeah, they live on the outskirts of society and are... More tribal, but still noble. They're noble and rugged and individualistic. Yeah. And they are slightly darker skinned than canal Martians. Now keep in mind that the baseline is gold, so they are slightly darker gold. Yeah. Then you've got hill Martians. Or no, you've got your high Martians. High Martians, right. It's weird that they're called high Martians because they're short, stumpy, dark-skinned degenerates. Yep. They The high Martians are the ones that... They are most primitive, they wear just loincloths, they're stooped and ape-like Except in features. Except they can fly, because they have wing Yeah, they've things. got, like, fucking flying squirrel flaps. Yeah, so they can fly, they, they're barrel-chested and short, and they're stupid. Yeah. Uh, their language, they're, they're all illiterate, and they live in caves that are bizarrely constructed, like they're, huh. like, 500-foot vertical shaft is the first thing that's a part of one of their caves. I can dig it. Wow. <laughs> Christ. Okay, so, so yeah. Three kinds of Martians getting increasingly dark-skinned as they get less technologically advanced. Yep. And, lest you think it's really going to be an interesting game about going down there and meeting the Martians for the first time and working out details of how these civilizations are going to interact, not really. Humans have been there for about 20 years, and they've already established a bunch of colonies and a bunch of alliances so mostly you go down there and do, like, in-city intrigue stuff with the canal and the and the the, uh, the hill Martians. Essentially, this book is just, like I had said before, it's taking black people or any of the, like, native uh, South American cultures or Mexican cultures and just going, they're Martians now, we don't care. Yeah, done. So any of the, like, ah, I'm going to go raid this old pyramid for whatever that would have been a pulp thing from that time is now replaced with, I'm going to go raid this hill Martian thing, whatever. Now, the canal Martians are called that because they live near the canals that carry the water that powered the Martian civilization back before it started to collapse. Which means that there are three pages of this book given over to nothing but explaining how defunct aqueducts used to work. There, it's, it's literally just talking about canals, canal structure, how canals work. What locks are. How how uh, water is lifted to a certain elevation so that it can continue a downward slope. Oh, yeah. The whole thing is just, like, randomly this author, I don't know, found a, like, book on how canals work and just went insane with it. Yeah. And it's useless because the canals are mostly empty. And even if they weren't, your players don't have anything to do with the canal operation. They are in the background. Oh, yeah. It's, you got here because you can fucking fly in space. You aren't, like, on a boat in this canal somewhere. You're flying somewhere and then having an adventure on foot. Right. So, basically, the, the intrigue of Mars is that the hill Martians hate the high Martians, and the canal Martians hate the high Martians, and the red captains hate everybody, and everybody hates the Jews. Yeah. 
obviously. Right. Okay, so that's the basic concept. Uh, the Red Captains are humans that operate ships that bother the High Martians, and the other Martians like the Red Captains, and, uh... Because the Red Captains are your standard, like, Oh ho, we are proper British soldiers, and we are here to fight the good fight against these savages. Wah! Yeah, that's what you get with them. And, uh, oh, also there are other countries other than England on every other planet. Yeah, Belgium, uh, instead of just going into the Congo, decided, fuck it, we'll go to Mars. And Which they... is real unfortunate for Mars, because Belgium, thank God, is no longer a world power, because they were the worst at, at uh, maintaining uh, outlying holdings out of any country ever. And at least it's very much true to that in this book. It's like, Belgium went to Mars and then fucked everything up. Yeah, that's directly accurate. Yeah. So they went and they just started trying to oppress people and get as much shit as possible. So yeah. uh, everyone hates Belgium. Now, Martian. now Germany invented Zeppelins early on and so they actually use Zeppelins to get around. So they're still up there. They're just a little less technologically advanced on Mars because Zeppelins in Martian atmosphere aren't as useful as liftwood ships. But they're still there. They're still making an inroad. Uh, uh, Spain is, is up there. Uh, uh, Fucking Japan is up Japan. there. Japan. The United States, of course, is up and involved, but the, the treatment of the United States in this book is real weird. Well, because the book is focused entirely on Victorian England, the what is America doing is like a paragraph of, I don't know, America just showed up a little bit and they established some outposts to sell some things. They sell guns to the Martians, which makes the Belgians sad. Yeah, they uh, they wear coonskin caps and, and are in, currently inventing the bases ball. Yeah, where... You know, you go, hey, I don't know if you realize this, but uh, all of American history is us just fucking taking anything that was near us. So if we went to Mars, we would straight up be doing Well, it's that. hilarious, because what was America actually doing in the 1800s? Expanding westward as hard and fast as they, as they possibly could. I mean, the moment anyone said there might be gold on Mars, everyone in the United States would be there. Oh, yeah. So... Fly there in covered fucking wagons. Yeah, that is... Why, when they're like, oh, and America just sort of has some trade outposts there, I'm like, bullshit, they do. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you do not know how asshole expansionist we are. Or it were in that specific time period. Oh, yeah, especially then. Our, the biggest thought that we had before this was, what should America's involvement be in this world? When, when Mars has opened up, and it's a whole extra planet, about 70% the size of the Earth, and it's the 1880s. What should happen? Should we, for example, send all of our Native Americans and slaves there? Probably. That would, that would hey, be a, a, an amazing story. Like, you want your 40 acres and a mule? Here's your 40 acres and a space mule. It's on Mars. Get the fuck out. Yeah. What a cool story that would be. To play the, the slaves after they get their 40 acres and it's on Mars. Oh, I 100% am like, dude, I do not give a single fuck about Victorian England anything. Yeah. But having, like, old freed slaves trying to make it on Mars and, like, having discussions with Martians about how much everything sucks, yeah. how much all of these asshole colonial people are bastards. Oh, man. Event- amazing. Oh, such a cool story. Okay, but yeah, anyway. Uh, same thing's basically happening on Venus. The big difference is, let's talk about Venus now. All right. Venus is a big, foggy planet covered with storms and dinosaurs, and it's hot and sweltering. So, Venus is a swamp planet. Mm-hmm. It is pretty much entirely covered in water. Even its driest areas are still just moist. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's storms going on constantly that are varying severity. There's always raining a little bit. You Basically, every minute that goes by on Venus, you roll a d6, and on a 1, it's clear, 
And then on a two, there's a storm gathering. On a three, there's a storm happening. On a four, the storm is receding. On a five, the storm is enormous. And on a six, oh, fuck a storm. Yeah. So, storms are plenty. Hmm? There are dinosaurs. And when we say dinosaurs, we don't mean, oh, there's big lizard creatures. We mean there are literal the same dinosaurs we had on Earth. Oh, yeah. On there. Yeah, your, tri- your triceratops, your ankylosaurs. You name it. If it's a regular old dinosaur name of the kind you learned when you were 10, it's on Venus. Now, where are the big reptile monsters that aren't dinosaurs? They're on Mars. That's what Mars has. I said this earlier, but Mars has the standard package of fantasy rideable animals. <laughs> It is 100% the most basic pack you can get. A two-legged runner lizard thing, a four-legged giant elephant thing that you can ride around on, and a winged thing called a skrill. Yep. So there you go. You got your flyy thing, your runny thing, and your big stompy thing. Standard package. Back to Venus. So Venus has all of these dinosaurs. In addition, they have their own sentient race. The Sleestacks, basically. Lizard men. Yes. So the lizard men are... Occasionally bipedal, occasionally run around on all fours. Yeah, they can slide around on their bellies to go extra fast. I actually thought that was kind of a neat touch. Yeah, they are actual lizard men, not just dudes in rubber suits. Yeah, no, they're they're very lizardy, and they did a pretty good job with coming up with them. Uh, they do tend to follow that process of being good guys if you need them to be good guys, and bad guys if you don't. Like they're so they're so uh, splintered and tribal that any group you meet is going to be random based on the story you're, li- you're you're reading. Yeah, instead of having like a oh, there are like. The hill lizard people and the swamp lizard people. It's just, they're lizard people. If you meet a tribe that's friendly, then great. They'll probably greet you and you'll have a nice dinner and they'll yub-yub all around. Yeah, you can buy Space Manhattan for some Astro Beads. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah. No big deal. And then if you meet some angry ones, then you get to have, like, a running battle against the lizard men in the swamps of Venus. Yeah, so Venus is difficult to navigate because Liftwood immediately rots and falls apart there. Which means that the only way to fly in and off the uh, the uh, planet is via Zeppelin. So the Germans, who are the Zeppelin masters, control most of Venus. Now everyone else is also still there. Everyone's got colonies on Venus. Uh, or, or the United States straight up just has mercantile trading posts there. Yeah, because again, apparently all America cares about is selling some stuff and not expanding. It's so weird because Edison is a huge force. And they even mention like, oh, the U.S., Wanted to, I don't know, make a show of going up there because Edison was one of theirs and they should do a thing and then completely drops it. Yeah, whatever. Uh, otherwise, a lot of countries have have uh, interests on Venus. Uh, it seems like a pretty interesting place to play. Uh, it describes it as being constantly hot and sweltering and awful and the art is fantastic. We're actually including a picture of Venus because it includes my favorite thing about this game. Yeah. Which, the art of women in this game. Anytime a woman is drawn straight on, she basically looks like Cartilage Head. Yeah, the Akewood character Cartilage Head. They look like a melting skull with eyeballs stuck in it. <laughs> it is amazing. Oh, oh and lipstick. Like, yeah. like not even, I, I mean, like, literally two sticks of lipstick in a crude simulation of what lips would look like in that situation. <laughs> uh. They're They're horrific. And oh, it, yeah. I don't know why they keep drawing them, and it's just like, oh, it's, and every picture in the book is of a man and a woman. You notice that? All the art is of a big, buff, burly man with a woman kind of fainting behind him. Yep. Because that's the way things are in Victorian England. Yeah. See, fabulous Victorian England. No. Thrill, as women just stand around and look at men. (laughs) Men who grow mustaches and then twirl them. Ha ha! So that's Venus. There's only one more planet we really gotta talk about. However, before we do that... Just like in the book, I'm going to go to a completely random other thing, and sure. then we'll get back to it. Okay, go for it. <laughs> we didn't actually talk about how you resolve anything. Oh, I don't want to. 
So let's uh, leave that issue unresolved. <laughs> so the resolution mechanic in this it gives you two different ways you can do it. Okay. Uh, either you can set a difficulty based on how difficult you think it would be. So four is easy, and then eight is kind of medium, and twelve is difficult, and so on and so on, mm-hmm. up to twenty. And then you roll a number of dice equal to whatever your skill is. Is it stat plus skill or is it just skill? Just your skill. Or if you don't have the skill, you can roll your stat. Okay. So if I've got a swimming of five and I want to swim, then I roll five dice against whatever the difficulty is that is set. Then it also says the other way you can do this is just do a roll under for whatever your stat or skill is on 1d6. Everything at most gets to a six. So you would just do a roll under, a 1 always succeeds, and a 6 always fails. Okay. So either you can roll some dice, or you can roll a die and have a 1 in 6 chance of just failing. Hmm. Does the other one have an automatic failure chance? Uh, no. You just fail if you go under. Oh. So one of them's got a built-in automatic failure chance that occurs, what, like just well, you, a little less than 20% of the got time? A, basically a 1 in 6 auto-succeed and a 1 in 6 auto-fail. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is just a straight roll to try and beat a number. Okay. One of those sounds way worse than the other one. Kinda. Yeah. And then it goes to combat, and the combat resolution strictly goes between the two. There's no optional rules. Mm-hmm. Combat is roll your combat dice based on the weapon you're using will allow you to roll a certain number of dice. Mm-hmm. Uh, each weapon has a rating of, like, if you're using melee, then you've got to have a certain strength to use it. Yes. Uh, if you have less than that strength, then you roll fewer dice to hit. Right. And then it's got a hit number that you are trying to get, and anything of that number or below counts as a hit, and you need at least one hit to hit someone, but you're rolling probably, like, three or four dice. And then the person tries to dodge by rolling their dodge dice and getting successes below their dodge threshold, and it's just... It's very boring and serviceable, isn't it's, it? It is not the worst system I've ever seen. No, but then again, we've read 40-odd systems now. Yes. So, that's not exactly an amazing bar to get over. No, it's it's boring and serviceable, is what I'll, uh, the way I'll say it. The real problems in this book are way outside the rules. Oh, yeah. The rules, you could play them. They're boring, and I wouldn't want to, but you could. Like, they at least have a few things. The wound system in this, they have... The old, like, extras system where if you're an NPC and you don't matter, you have, like, two wounds and no one gives a shit. Yes. So if you get shot by a pistol at close range and you're an NPC, you just die. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Oh, and if you get wounded, you get way worse at using your skills. So you're, it's yeah. a very nasty spiral to get stuck in. If you get if you get shot once, not only... here Because every character has four actions they can do per turn. Yep. And uh, if you get shot, you lose all your actions for that turn. Or and you get then, hit with something. Right? Yeah, if you get... If you take damage, you lose your actions for the rest of the turn, except for trying to defend yourself. Yes. And then the next turn, for every wound you have, you lose one of those actions. Right. Down to one. So it can be very, very punishing to get hurt even a little bit in the game. Yeah. All right, now I want to take it back over and go back to the fucking moon. Yay, the moon! The moon sucks and is boring. The moon is the only place where we have an actual sample adventure. Yes. There's a story about going to the moon with some fucking guy. And uh, here's here's the basics of the moon. The moon does not have an atmosphere out, out on top, so people can land there if they want, but they can't stay there. Because one of the things that hasn't been invented yet in this universe is spacesuits. Yep. So, uh, okay. Now, 
The moon Which on. is weird, because you'd think you'd just have a big suit with, like, a potted plant inside of it. <laughs> yeah, it's a ficus tree yeah. inside of a diving bell. You're just, you're just walking around in one of those diving bells, and you can see little ferns coming up through the top of it. Oh, it'd be <laughs> oh, so good. Oh, my. <laughs> anyway. Smells like chrysanthemums. <laughs> no, okay, so the moon instead is an interior planet. You have to go up inside it. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's full of gas, which means that you can go down in there and breathe and everything. Uh, and the whole thing, the way that the, the planet worked was that you originally had a liquid core and that breathable gas bubbled out through the liquid core and then solidified into big bubble-shaped chambers that are connected. So when you go inside the moon, you wander through a bunch of big stone bubbles and yep. they're full of rats and mushrooms and caterpillars. And that's it. Yeah, so the adventure that you're going on with this dumb guy... Oh, I hate this guy. So... Everything you do in this is essentially him just leading you around. Let's just call him Brooke, for lack of a better name. Yeah, Brooke is a huge asshole. Yes. So, the whole game just has Brooke leading your party around, essentially on rails. This is very much just a fucking adventure ride where you have no decisions, and maybe you roll some dice, but it doesn't matter. Here's the basic synopsis of the adventure. Brooke uh, is hired, along with your party, to hang out on a ship and go check out the moon, because someone crash-landed there recently, so you need to see what's going on with that. So, you get on your ship, and the ship has a special engine that's powered by a big diamond. And they didn't bring any other engines, even though all they have is this one weird experimental engine that's powered by a big diamond. Okay, you fly to the moon and immediately crash on the moon, because your engine sucks and the moon is hard to land on. Then you find the ship that crashed there, and it looks like... Like, someone carried all the, the equipment away from it. So you're like, oh, someone must have survived and gone inside the planet. Uh, naturally, Brooke immediately says, we're going in there, too. And so you do. Well, yeah. You fall... Basically, you fall into a crevice. Yep. And you can repel down. And as you're repelling down, it has a list of, like, day one. There's some fucking glowing mushrooms. mushrooms. There's two kinds of glowing mushrooms. There's some weird little bugs that look kind of like rats. And there's big caterpillars. You do this for two weeks. You wander through empty bubble chambers. Once a day you are attacked by rats or caterpillars. Once a day you find some mushrooms. And you keep walking through other bubbles for two weeks. Yeah, well, however long it takes you. Because it has a set of day one this happens, day two this happens, all all through day six. And then it goes, alright, so after that, you just roll a d6 and whatever happened during one of those six days just happens again. Yeah. And then eventually you find some Martian, or sorry, some moon people, Selenites. Yep. And they are bugs. They are, they are big ants. Yep. They are just a colony of hive-minded, dumb ant people. Right. Uh, there is a cast of the ant people, because of course they have casts, whose job it is to be smart. And so you get to meet the one ant in the whole colony who you can talk to and who will remember you. Because the other ones don't even have memories. Yeah, they just sort of do what they're told. Yeah. And great. And that guy's only going to live a couple of years. So they're not an especially useful civilization to get in touch with and interact with. Uh, however, they have the kind of diamond your ship needs to leave with. So that's great. That's awesome. What a convenient you, situation. You oh, find oh the, I uh, want to say this real quick. When you first encounter the ant people, the first time, they crest over a ridge and find you, and they have rifles. And Brooke surrenders immediately. Yeah. And he surrenders for the party immediately. He goes, well, fellows, they have the height advantage. I don't know about you, but we're all surrendering. <laughs> Hands up. Yeah, and throughout, before this, when you fight the uh, the moon bats for the first time, everyone's fighting them normally. He throws one of the glowing mushrooms at it for no reason, and it instantly kills things. And he goes, ho oh, ho, aren't I clever? I figured out how to do this. So it's not that the party gets to figure out 
hey, maybe the bats are afraid of these glowing mushrooms. No, the NPC tells you this. And it, it, the NPC is not on a programmed timer to tell you these things. Like, sometimes a, part, a, a written adventure will include an NPC whose job it is to notice when the players aren't getting something. Like, if the players have been trying to figure out where the hidden door is for two days, have this guy stumble across something. Yeah. This guy's just, like, immediate. The moment something new occurs, he goes, well, fellows, that's a Martian rat. We can eat them, but they'll be quite bitter, you know. Yeah, so, uh, you also find the guy that you were looking for in the first place, whose ship was crashed here to mm-hmm. begin with. And he's an insane German. He's an insane Russian. Oh, sorry, thank you. He's an insane Russian. Who he's has a Rasputin-looking motherfucker. Yeah, he has a lot of guns for these guys, and the reason he brought a shitload of guns and gave them to dumb ants and is has his master plan of... Making them dig up diamonds for him, essentially. Right. And then he's eventually going to leave somehow or something. I don't know. Yeah. He's taught the rats, the, the ants to speak three or four languages. Yeah, he's taught the one ant that you can talk to to be like, uh, well, he didn't even teach him. He just sort of, uh, learned the clicks that you would do to talk in ant. But he rants in English, apparently, even though he's Russian, because the ant you talk to is like, yeah, I listened to the crazy Russian guy rant in English. Now I know English. Yeah. Eh, weird. Uh, anyway, at that point, you you immediately plan an uprising because your NPC tells you to. And then you melt the bad guy because he falls in a big pit of mushrooms. Yep. There you go. That's the adventure. At no point do the players make a decision. No, there is no decision to be made. Everything is on rails. It is day one this happens, day two this happens, and so on. Including day seven, roll a d6 and do whatever day you did first. Yeah. It's just the worst. There you go. And, uh, yeah. I, I'm sad about that. That's enough of that. <laughs> That's enough of the moon. That's enough of those planets. John? Jeff? What is your favorite thing about space, 1889? Oh, God. Okay. Um, I'm gonna say Venus. Venus is my favorite thing. Because at least they were like, what's Venus like? It's an awesome swamp planet, and there's dinosaurs and lizard men. No one is particularly a stand-in for some racist thing. Mm-hmm. And you can go have awesome swamp adventures. And that's the kind of, like... Fighting dinosaurs on the swamps of Venus is the kind of shit you would see on an old paperback novel. And that's awesome. Yeah. Great. They did a good job of realizing a place you might want to go to. Yes, Absolutely. So what would you say your favorite thing about space, 1889? Martian yes. ships. I liked the Martian ships. They actually use sails to move through space, through the, cause Mars is very windy and hot. So they use sails, but they also use their liftwood. So they build these really cool ships that carry them all over the planet. I thought they were really pretty looking. Sweet. I like that bit of art. I know that's not something that really engenders a lot of jokes, but I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, there is nothing written in this book I enjoyed. There was just a few <laughs> pictures I thought were kind of good. All right. What would you say is your least favorite thing about Space 1889? It's uh, hard to narrow down. So I'm probably going to go ahead and say how this book nonstop fillets the Victorian ideals over and over again. It's one thing if, like the beginning of the book starts with a, here's a summary of Victorian shenanigans. And you go, okay, great. If I didn't know anything about it, I get an overview. Then it has an entire chapter of, here's Victorian England's shenanigans. You go, okay, great. Uh, that's a little more in-depth than probably anyone needs, but whatever, that's what this book is sort of about. And then it just keeps doing it over and over. You go to Mars, and then on Mars, it talks about Victorian shit on Mars. Yeah. And you're like, I don't fucking care. I don't fucking care. No, that's the worst part about steampunk right there, written up. 
Just the endless fetishization of Victorian England. Oh, yeah. And also, high-class Victorian England. Let's not kid ourselves. It's only the upper crust. Only the nobility that anyone gives a shit about when they well, write no, these Because of... they're like, you know what I like is this Victorian fashion. Yeah. I don't actually give a shit about steampunk or what actually happened in Victorian era. I just think that that dress looks cool. I like brown I like trench coats. Hat. Yeah, that's all it is. I like gears. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So... Your least favorite thing in the book? Racism. Oh, I knew I was leaving that for you. I'm yeah, glad you picked much. it up. Yeah. Racism in this book runs rampant. It's not like it's racism against, or racist against like the Turks or the Indians or anything like that. It just turns uh, most races into Martians and then lets you run wild all over them. Which, again, okay, I understand that you are trying to do a pulp adventure and all of those pulp adventures really were, ho-ho, these savages of darkest Africa. You're like, okay, I get it. I know that that is the story that this RPG is trying to emulate. Maybe don't. Certain things don't need to be emulated. <laughs> like, I don't need a Triumph of the Will RPG. <laughs> I'm good. You know, this American Life. I'll pass, you know? Like, whatever that, that that's called. Uh, Wings or something like that. Those original movies that are super racist from the early, like, 1800s. Pass. I don't need to see them recreated in the modern day. There's a reason we don't have them anymore. Yeah, that's why I liked Venus, because you can do a pulp adventure in a weird setting that doesn't have anything to do with, I don't know, making the natives into your... And they did it twice. They proved they can do it. They made it, They made uh, ant people on the moon and, and lizard people on Venus, and they was like, oh, these aren't really... These don't strike me as any particular race. I'm not offended by reading this. But then Martians literally three times in a row. Oh, yeah. Everything on Mars is just an analog for some race of brown people. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. It's great. Yeah. And by great, I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, disappointing. What would you play? Uh, this game, Space 1889. Would you play I, Space 1889? I could not bring myself to even remotely think about it. Like, as I said, I couldn't even find half of the rules for how to play this game. Yeah. It's so poorly done mm-hmm. that I... Even if I wanted to, even if I liked the idea of playing in this shitty universe, I don't think I could play this game. No, not even close. So, would you? No, and I do, I am very curious to learn if there's other editions of this. Like, you know, last week, or when we did Heaven and Earth, a lot of people came and told us, oh, you had the first edition of Heaven and Earth. Yes, it's hot garbage. That book got way better. Oh, that sounds interesting. I'd love, to, I'd love to hear more about that. So I'm actually curious to hear if Space 1889 happened again. Now, I do want to say I would play the game that's in my head, which is Space 1989. Yeah, obviously. Right? Which is a game which is like nothing but pink smoke and like like beep zoop noises and the windows are too small because so instead you get a digitized video game version of the enemy ships coming at you and everything's blue and pink. Oh, it'd be so good. Right? Arcade. So many awesome lasers. My first thought when I was looking at that is like, oh, awesome lasers and haircuts and those half jackets. Walkmans. Oh, Walkmans, yes. Oh man, Space 1989 would be the coolest thing. The first time I, I thought of it, I was like, I was like, oh, so that would be, uh, what, 80s punk? And then I was like, wait, you idiot, that's just punk. That's a, <laughs> that's a punk. 80s punk is punk. So it's got to be something different. It'd be arcade punk. Oh, yeah. 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 Arcade punk where, like, literally you, you control your ship by rolling that centipede wheel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. 100%. I am on board with that. Yeah. So Space 1989 is a game I would play. Yes. 100%. Now, special thanks to the person who actually purchased this book at some point in their distant past, and instead of throwing it away like they should have... Mailed it to us. So, thanks very much to Brooke, the uh, the contributor of Space 1889, to the cause. Thank you so much. Okay. Bah. This has been Space 1889, the System Mastery Podcast review. You can find System Mastery Podcast at systemmasterypodcast.com, don't you know? 
Also, Twitter, Facebook, Gmail, uh, whatever. All kinds of places. Yes. You can find us at systemmastery at gmail.com. But by all means, go and follow us on Twitter. I'll make all kinds of tweets at you. Yeah, so many tweets. All them Twitlers. You'll get so tweeted, you won't even know what's going on. You'll yeah. be Twitter-pated. Now, as always, if you have a book you would like to hear us review, we want to know about it. Send us your review recommendations to systemmastery at gmail.com or just tweet them at us. If you want to actually mail us books, that's crazy awesome. It's been happening. I still can't believe that actually happens. <laughs> uh, to do that, since you know we don't even give our last names out on this dumb show, so if you want the address to mail things to, send us an email and we will set you up. Yeah. That's the way that works. Now tune in next week for another Afterthought episode. As always, with Afterthought, we like to answer listener questions. So by all means, send us your questions. I don't mind if they're about RPGs, but there's only like ten questions you can ask us about RPGs. So by all means, send us questions like who would win in a fight or would you rather type stuff. Yeah, if you give me a long form would you rather, great. Love it. That's perfect. That's what we want from you. <laughs> One of the best questions we picked up for next week's episode is, uh, what's your favorite Tim Curry role? I'm so excited. I'm not going to answer it right now, but I'm so excited. This, this is the teaser for Afterthought next week. Yeah, like that that crap show needed a teaser. Okay, <laughs> so you got anything else you want to add about Space 1889? Uh, no, it's awful. If you see it, uh, burn it. Yeah. Good. Like, put a dome over it and, and contact your local bomb squad. <laughs> No! You need to take it on adventures! <laughs> no! Oh my goodness! ha! Great. This has been System Mastery. Thank you, and have a lovely week. We'd like to thank you for welcoming, welcoming us into your home this this holiday Christmas evening. <laughs> As we gather around the fire. Celebrating this life day. Yes. Yes, we're celebrating Life Day, which of course means that we're now going to watch a series of increasingly bad variety show entertainment items on everything in our house. Yes. Mm -hmm. Also, we're going to stop speaking English now, (laughs) so we'll rejoin you after the program for some footnotes. (laughs) Fuck this, we're starting over. (laughs)